0: We can talk about anything you want Jay Flan's Ignorance. Well, welcome to Jay Flaunces Ignorance. This is episode 32. I'm back with Chris Hoover yet again. And fast follow to our fast follow. So this is week three that we've done this every weekend. And uh, how are you liking the format? Is this working out for you?
1: Oh yeah, I think it's good. I like as far as my own personal goals, I've kind of wanted to be able to do my own podcast. So um, we might have to think of something that we could do to like, uh, and maybe I could just take what we've already done and edit it. And maybe do like a little, maybe that's just something else we probably oh, yeah. just chop my intro bit. out and do yeah. whatever you want. Yeah, <laughs> Super but, uh, cut. <laughs> I, I mean, I like the format. I, 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 I've been trying to talk other people into joining us. So we'd have three people in here, but um, Ooh. people kind of, yeah, kind of, uh, where are we going to put a third person? Well, I think, I think we could actually do it with discord because he has a good microphone at his house and, um. And since it's my Discord's on a different channel, I actually have it fed into the recorder, so it would just be its own channel. Oh, cool! Yeah.
0: All right. Well, uh, so if you haven't listened to episodes thirty and thirty-one, you might want to spend three and a half hours of your life. <laughs> <laughs> getting background for the, in the last two episodes, we were an hour in and then you said, Oh, I was prepared to say, to talk about X. Oh, do you have another one of those where in 60 minutes you're going to say, Hey, I was actually prepared to talk about X.
1: Oh no, no. So, and, and the only reason why I said that the last time was because I had, I think I had texted you that, uh, uh, Steve said he would join in if we did it on affirmative action. Oh, and, and that was that. So for some reason, I think I just had it in my head that we were going to talk about that, even though Steve didn't come.
0: Oh, and I didn't know. Yeah.
1: So at, <laughs> I, did. at, at I didn't know rate, those that the agenda. That's kind of where that came from. I, th- we actually never officially said, hey, we're going to talk about affirmative action. So,
0: Well, there's nothing – this podcast is nothing if not official. We yeah. have very <laughs> official channels, and uh, it's <laughs> very important that we stick to a strict hierarchy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I, I wanted to revisit uh, – do you have topics you want to – okay. So I want to revisit the um, wealth disparity uh, thing again. So this is my third swing at bat. Uh, I think um, we agreed with 100 people on the moon that it's not okay for one person to have all the food and control all the food that was supposed to be for for 100 people, right? Mm -hmm. And so in that case, that extreme case you know, that Jay came up with that of his noggin, my deranged noggin came up with this, that it it doesn't matter that the individual rights of the person who is holding the food – if they refuse to give food to 100 people on the moon and there are no other options, their individual rights are moot, right? Because it's not okay for 99 people to starve. Uh, so they have individual rights. Okay, fine. But they're taking the food and that's the right thing to do. Is that, is that where we landed?
1: Yes. So, so um, uh, to clarify, I don't think that you can break any individual right but i do think that you have the right to take the food which it seems like in that scenario he took in an immoral way anyways and what i mean what i mean by that is is that the right in this particular case um that i'm saying that you're it's okay to violate is his right to property Mm -hmm. and i'm saying that you have a right to take it from him because he got it, it wrong anyways. But I, I do believe there are more rights out there than just that. So I, I I do want to clarify that I don't think that because he did that, you have a right to skin him alive and, and no, torture no. him to death. Oh, you know, sure. like, you know and, like, and if he's like –
0: and if the food was supposed to be for everybody and he says, oh, whoops, sorry, my bad, and he gives the food back, then you know, no problem. Right. But he doesn't have the right to hold it. With force. Yeah. And hold it as (laughs) ransom to get other
1: things, you know, like maybe he wants sexual favors for a taco or something. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's moon tacos. They're the best tacos. So I, I also don't think that it matters whether or not that all that food was designated for him or not. So like, say what happened is a hundred people arrived on the moon and through some accident, 99 people's food got lost. Get destroyed, whatever. Anyway, he has all the food, and I don't think it matters how, how it came to be. I don't think he has an individual right to that food just because it was designated as his, and therefore it's not, quote, stolen. It still doesn't matter in my ethical system. He needs to share the food because it's not okay to let 100 people starve.
1: Well, if he doesn't share the food, one pe- one person at least could survive in this particular case, is there like, and, and, and this is one reason why I think sometimes doing, uh, you know, what if scenarios is a little difficult. (laughs) And and that's because like, what if he's actually on a mission and let's just say it's not a hundred people, it's just like three. And those three people have a critical mission to go to the moon and save the rest of the planet. But in order for that to happen, at least one person needs to stay alive. Yeah. Right. So like, let's say the other's lost their food somehow, whether it was negligence or accident, but they can't compl- complete their mission. So how do you decide which one stays alive? You know, if you d- redistribute the food, then the mission won't be completed. Right. So to, to me, it, in that case, it would not be moral to take his food and redistribute it. Yeah. Would you agree with that?
0: Maybe. Yeah. So a, so in like a military scenario where you have, you know, complicated, this is the goal. This is the whole point that we're, why we're here. We all signed up for this. We all knew we could die, you know, all these kinds of things um, that, yeah, there's lots of scenarios where that one person needs the food more than the other two because the mission needs to be completed, et cetera. But I want to simplify it and just say that if the rescue ship is coming in a month and the one person has plenty of food for everybody, mm-hmm. right? because there's contingency plans or whatever. But, um, I I don't think that one person has de facto individual rights to property, whether or not it was designated for them originally, because all of that other food was lost and there should be no problem, hopefully with, with sharing the food, et cetera. So, uh, anyway, I I think we're on the same page with all that. And then I, I think on another end of a spectrum of some sort, um, you and I agree that you have a house and I have a house and my house is next to your house. And we're both over here recording a podcast of our own free will and whatever transactions we both deem uh, mutually beneficial or agree to um, that that's great, right? Like you don't have any crazy power over me and I don't have any crazy power over you. And um, therefore, Every action, every interaction between us should be um, agreed to in advance or whatever, and everything's consent-based, and um, uh, there's no power dynamic, you know, that I see between the two of us that, you know, is – has any crazy impact on anything right no so you, so you've got way better microphones than I do um, but you know, if, <laughs> but I have <laughs> the means with which to get better microphones et cetera if I chose to et cetera right and so you and I are in a very free uh, arrangement of our friendship and our next door neighbor ishness where <laughs> you get one vote on the um, the neighborhood council what's it called the the board of Whatever. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I don't know what, that, that what it's That thing called. we went to uh, twice. <laughs> yeah, that thing, which I probably should go to more often. But anyways, I, I know what you mean. I've drugged you to it every single yeah. time it's happened since I moved in. So
1: Oh, it's only happened that many times?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's only I, been to Because
1: I've went before uh, because Richard across the street was like, yeah, we, we need some more people to come so that way we can make it whatever we decide official. Yeah. So I, I went. Um, at the end of the day, the only reason why I don't go is because the only way they communicate is through snail mail. Yeah, And I don't sit there and sift through my mail and be like, oh yeah, this is a legit, you know, like, it, unless it's something that I am expecting, like I generally treat it like it's garbage. You know, like I I shouldn't be that way. I'm not saying I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. All all the listeners to our
0: podcast, when, when you ship, um, you know, all your loving support objects and (laughs) cookies and whatever to the podcast, know that you can send them to me and I will receive them because I don't throw everything out by default. (laughs) Like Chris does. Don't send them to Chris. Um, so I, I think you and I agree on extreme lunar ethics and I think you and I agree on, um, the ethics of normal um, people, that, uh, in current American society where in our everyday interactions, we have the the free will and, fr- and, um, uh, uh, capacity and ability to decide like whether or not I'm going to come over here and record a podcast or whether or not, you know, you can borrow my truck or I can borrow your truck or whatever. So I think where we differ is when I look at the World, Or I look at America specifically. I think what I see is more of a a, more of a situation where um, lots of people are controlling the vast swath of resources to a degree that I'm not comfortable with. And there are there are people that don't have the basic necessities of life that aren't being covered. And so I see the where I look at the American landscape. And I see more of a situation where it's the 100 people on the moon and one person is holding all the food. And I think you see more of a um, a free market of choice and employment and um, money um, and choices. I said that already. But I think what <laughs> you said last time was um, like you and your siblings, for example, had pretty much the same start in life. And you made a bunch of choices and they made a bunch of choices and you've ended at different places so far in Mm -hmm. your lives financially. And you don't think society is to blame for any of that. You think that your individual choices have driven a lot of that and their inherent natures or whatever. But it's not that the American government has constructed some sort of system which has kept your siblings down and you got a bunch of advantages that they didn't have, et cetera. Like none of that applies to you and your siblings. Right. Right. Yeah. So if we agree on those two sort of extremes and I see the world as being more like people hoarding money and hoarding food on the moon and you see the world more like a free enterprise of individuals that are making those free choices and suffering the results of those choices or reaping the benefits of those choices, right? Mm -hmm. Then how would we come to, what what do you think? Like, so first, do you think that that's fair? Like, is that, is that an okay way to sum up um, where I think you and I are in terms of when we look at the American landscape, I I find it a lot more disturbing, I think, than you do. How the lower end of people uh, on the lower end of the fiscal spectrum Uh, have opportunity and resources. And I think you think that individual responsibilities have led to those things, not any systemic uh, inequities that have driven them there. It's more on them. Whereas I think it's more, uh, not in all cases, but on average, there are way too many people that are low enough income that I see the system as being, um, uh, rigged I guess would be the short way to say that
1: how would you say well before I answer that how would you say it's rigged how would you describe it's rigging <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yeah so <clears throat> what I'd say is that when you're wealthy in this country you have all these crazy opportunities that people that don't have money don't have that it's very expensive to be poor. That when you want to um, uh, get a credit card, or get a loan for a car, or get a loan for a house, your credit score will uh, make it so that your um, the actual amount of money that you're paying for the, this exact same service that I would have is much higher. You know, so I see a lot of ways in which I can walk in to a bank and do things that other people simply can't do because banks aren't willing to do that. Now, some of that is based on the fact that people have made choices where their employment history is not like mine, right? So when they show their last two paychecks and I show my last two paychecks, when I'm trying to get a loan for a truck, those are very different paychecks that you're seeing, right? And some some people have had that. Um, some people are in that position because they've chosen to be a school teacher, which has always been in my lifetime a very low-paying uh, job. And I've chosen a job that, um, hopefully, so far, <laughs> uh, has paid pretty well. You know, but when you're broke and I've never been broke. I just know people that have been broke or have been broke their whole lives. Um, when you're broke, absolutely everything comes with all of these financial barriers that are, uh, way more expensive than it would be for, uh, me to, to, to do the exact same thing. Mm. So when you're, well, I guess we should have an expert on brokenness on the podcast <laughs> uh, because I'm not that. <clears throat> but but I think the system is rigged in that uh, when, when you have very little access to capital, um, you have a very limited swath of opportunities. Whereas if you're born into a situation with tons of access to capital, you have all the opportunities. So Mm -hmm. if you're born into a wealthy family, you can go into whatever schools you choose. And those schools are probably better funded than other schools. And they have science programs that aren't offered at other schools and art programs that aren't offered. And all these opportunities open up um, that, you don't have if you're coming from a low income bracket
1: well um in in your mind so one of the things that i brought up about my family is that my my parents have every incentive to have all of us turn out to be as successful as we can possibly be like they want to force not force but they if they, if they could they would will us to be successful and have everything we want and be happy. So when, right? when you say
0: successful you're just talking about income, money.
1: Yeah, and um and we can we can talk about that too but um successful in terms of how each individual divine defines success. So and and the reason why I say it that way is because I was actually watching this YouTube video not too long ago. And to be honest, I can't watch it too long because it's this guy that goes to like the, the some Asian countries that um, don't treat dogs very well. And what he does is he goes around and he rescues as many from these total crazy situations that almost brings me to tears, right? He doesn't have a lot of money, but you can tell that he is legitimately happy with his life. You know, he goes home to this place, this little shack, and and lives. Um, um, and another guy kind of does the same thing, but he's kind of like I think he's in Croatia.
0: How does he board a hundred dogs without money? Isn't isn't that expensive as hell to feed a well, hundred animals?
1: He he gets uh, donations, but he doesn't do. A, he does as many as he can. The the guy that goes to Asia just does as many as he can. So in that, in that regard, he actually has to walk by dogs, you know, that he wants to help, but he can't because he can't, he can't, he has to be selective about what he does. So he's, he's going through his life doing what brings him joy and happiness, even though he's not a rich individual. He probably, he doesn't make anything what I make, I would assume he might get some revenue now off his YouTube videos, But when he was in the act of creating his YouTube videos, he didn't, right? My point is, is that money itself isn't always the measure of success, you know? So my parents, when they looked at us, they want us to be successful. They want us to be happy. And even though they had that incentive, we all turned out on varying levels of the financial rung and different levels of the happiness rung. My sister my oldest sister started off as an elementary school teacher, which didn't make any money whatsoever. But now she actually, I I would assume she makes more than me. She's a, uh, she's a, she's a drug dealer, basically. (laughs) She works for, (laughs) for a large pharmaceutical company and, and she's a salesman for them. Mm. And, um, and she chose to do that. um, Partly for money reasons, but I think she likes the job too. I guess, I guess my point is, is that, um if I were to generically say I, I I generically I would agree with you that my position is that the for the vast majority of people that are in poverty right now today are in there for their because of themselves, not because they lack opportunities. On an individual basis, that may not be true may not be true. Um, but they should look be looked at it on an individual basis. And I think that why that's important to distinguish between those two things is because um, there are so many people that start off not rich or with, even without an education um, that have accumulated massive amounts of wealth and have started massive companies, not because they were rich to start out, but because they were dedicated to start out. And, and uh, for example, uh, J.C. Penney, he started out in absolute poverty and started a humongous change. The same guy that started Sears uh, did the same thing. It started from absolute poverty. Um, um, the guy that uh, started McDonald's started from absolute poverty. But they gave so much of their time to start those companies. Um, and, and the reason why they could is that they were free to do so. And I'm not trying to say that somebody that's poor on the street, all they have to do is just start a, a, a restaurant. <laughs> they're good. They'll be rich. But my point is is that I don't think that the vast amount of wealth in this country comes from people that were born into it like Paris Hilton. It is mostly people like J.C. Penney or the, the who started Sears and McDonald's. I, I think that that's where the most amount of wealth comes from.
0: Um, Yeah. So, so I don't know. I I don't know the statistics behind that. And I'm always a statistics guy. So if you want to prove me wrong, just show me stats that say (laughs) anything other than what I'm saying. The part for me, I think that's most um, powerful is not the individual opportunity matrix, like whether or not um, fiscal mobility, I think is what they call it whether or not we have a healthy fiscal mobility in this country um the the part that, that the the bottom line for me is um the wealth inequality and in so so let me grant you that so let, let's just assume for a minute that there are tons of avenues for individuals to make you know, make their way, the American dream, and they they're they can start whatever and get rich, and that's great. Um, <clears throat> when I look at the wealth inequality in the nation, I would expect to see, well, yeah, this person decided to watch Netflix for 80 years, and this person has been working their butts off for 80 years, and they have very different amounts of money. You know, I would expect to see that. And I would expect to see that there are people 10 times smarter than me. I I know there are. I've worked with a lot of them (laughs) that are just way better at what I do than I am. And I would expect them to make more money because I literally can't keep up with them. They're just freaking geniuses. And in science, there's a ton of freaking geniuses and I can't keep up. So I expect them to have 10 times more money than me or a hundred times more money than me. What I think really um, disturbs me is... That it's not that the richest are ten times or a hundred times or a thousand times richer than the poorest people. It's that they're tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of times richer. And there's, for me, there's a maximum amount of how awesome you are that is um, compensatable when all Americans don't have housing and food and clothing and access to the you know basic uh, needs of life, so yeah for me it's the the bottom line when I compare those the the two extreme examples right where someone's trying to keep all the food on the moon, but they have we both I <laughs> agree in that example, the individual rights of don't, don't matter. Um, or you and I being in a, a relationship where we can control and make choices of our own free will. What I see looking at the wealth disparity for uh, across the nation is that there's tons of money in this country. We could easily house everybody. We could easily fund public schools. We could easily fund the roads. And maybe I'm wrong, by the way, like if you run a spreadsheet on me, maybe I'm <laughs> wrong. But with a progressive income tax, where billionaires are still billionaires, right? All we're doing is slowing the um, acceleration of their um, rise above the rest of us, right? So I'm not even saying take their money away. I'm just saying slow down how fast they're pulling away from the rest of us. Like you and I will probably never be billionaires and the billionaires are accelerating how fast (laughs) their billions are expanding away from you and I. Right. And a lot of them deserve a lot more money than I have. Right. They're, they've been chasing money. They've had great ideas. They've started great businesses and that's great. Like good for them. I'm, you know, I'm proud of them. I'm not, I'm not envious, but when we have people you know, tomorrow again, I'm going to go in downtown Omaha and there's going to be 45 people there that really need help and we could help them, you know? And so for me, the individual rights of people not to get their money taken by taxes don't matter compared to, you know, the suffering of lots of people um, that that don't have access to basic resources. So,
1: yeah. And, I I I kind of don't disagree with that. Um um to some extent I'm not really sure I guess what we don't where we don't see eye to eye, but I I will say this that um I don't disagree with taxes in general. I do agree that people have a right to the money that they've earned. And if if the government wants to tax somebody, they should return something of value to that individual that they're taxing. Not take some from somebody and literally just give it to somebody else. That's theft in my mind. That's not taxation. I think rich people, even if it wasn't a progressive tax system, would still pay more, uh, even if everybody just paid 10%, right? 10% of what I make is even probably on a logarithmic scale – like probably wouldn't even show up like on a graph compared to anybody like uh, Jeff Bezos. If we just said, all right, everybody that makes a, a dollar has to pay 10 cents no matter how much you make. Um, he would still, by orders of magnitude, pay, you know, more for our society than the next person, even without progressive taxes. Yeah. But, I, and, oh, good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what you're what you're saying is he earned it and you you can't it's immoral to take it and what i'm saying is when we have millions of people that need the money it is moral to take it
1: all right and, and i we,
0: and we disagree there right and and
1: really i guess you'd be able to convince me otherwise and and i think you're actually hitting on the heart of the issue if you can tell me that need justifies taking something from somebody else and I just simply don't think it does. And and part oh. of that is because, oh go ahead.
0: Well last week, if your family's starving, you take the bread.
1: Right, but that's different from what the government's responsibility is. I'm not saying that people don't have an individual responsibility to provide for their family, but the government but, is responsible for all the citizens. Uh, isn't and it? that might actually be a fundamental difference between you and I. I don't think the government's responsible at all. I think individuals are. I'm responsible for my own life.
0: So what is the U.S. government responsible for? Protecting
1: individual rights. In my mind, that's what it does and what it's supposed to do.
0: So if the U.S. government is on the moon with 100 people <laughs> and one guy has all the food <laughs> and there's one soldier with a gun, the U.S. soldier with a gun's job is to stop the 99 people from taking the food from the one person that has individual rights to all the food? Well, that's and that's the thing. You know, It seemed like in
1: our story – that person that took the food actually violated the rights of others by taking the food and, and holding it as a ransom. So, and th- and well, this is an, no- Oh, go ahead.
0: No, no, you're right. Sorry. I was, I was yeah. going to object that you were wrong and you were right. And I was wrong. <laughs> I, I corrected myself in less than a second, but it was too fast. <laughs> so, so there's other things. So, so you know, like- wait, what, what is the soldier with the gun supposed to do when the person, Oh, you okay, you're saying the individual rights of the 99 have been violated and therefore the US soldier with the, who's the only guy with a gun on the moon. There's one gun on the moon and the US soldier has it. Right. His job is to say to the one person, "Hey, the 99, the 99 people's individual rights have been violated. Give yeah. that back." Right. And in, in in fact, according to other things that we've talked about,
1: he would be like the Bernie Madoff of the moon, right?
0: The soldier <laughs> Oh, no. No, the, the dude that the, took the stolen. food, right? Right. So let me do the other The other moon example was they all had individual rights to their food, right? Mm-hmm. But for 99 people, that caravan was lost. It exploded, right? Mm-hmm. The guy who still has food is correct that that was the food allocated to him, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a U.S. soldier standing there with a gun. In my ethical system— the U.S. soldier, needs to distribute, redistribute the food.
1: Yeah, and it, I think that that's a very uh, – that's a. I don't think that all ethical or moral questions are equally easy to answer. <laughs> to, to, to me, that's not an easy answer.
0: It's like, not an easy answer? No,
1: it's not an easy answer because if he takes the food, then all of them are probably going to still starve to death anyways. No, no,
0: there's a rescue ship. It's fine. But oh,
1: well, if there's a rescue ship, then that's – there, there's no question that it should be distributed. And and not only that, but I and think... And the U.S.
0: soldier should enforce that.
1: I, I would think so. Um, you know, it seems like we're kind of adding things to the story as we go along. And and that's, <laughs> that's what actually I I clear. I move the
0: goalposts constantly. <laughs> and, and, and that's until what you makes it, agree with me.
1: <laughs> it, usually, that's what kind of <laughs> makes it easier for me to make a judgment, right? <laughs> At the end of the day, I think it's hard to, to nail down any further then what I've kind of already said is that I I feel like there is a strong tendency to me to value the individual rights of people and the government is there to protect them from abuses associated with those individual rights, which means that the government has limited power to violate rights. In other words, um, like the the government can't tell me to just shut up. Right. It can't tell me, you know, like, uh, I'm going to just take, you know, the money out of your car because I think I think that you might be using it and I'm gonna just take it and put it in our coffers, right? They can't uh use their force to be evil to people, right? So that way in that sense their their powers are limited and governed by those type of protections that the Constitution provides. Right? I also think that what maybe a little bit harder for people to accept <laughs> is that um i don't feel like an unlimited democracy is moral either you know if we have 41 for, uh, 51% of the people that vote to violate the rights of the other 49% that doesn't make it right to me right um if if, if 51% of the people says uh we're going to make a law that says it's okay to go out and murder the rest of the 49% <laughs> It it doesn't make it okay because we had a vote on the issue, right? I think that morals in and of themselves are solid and decisions should be made based upon those morals. If I relate that back to what we've been talking about this whole time, which is the redistribution of wealth, I I think I've actually already admitted that there is a certain portion of the population that I don't have an answer for, where I do think to some extent um, one could Make an argument to me at least that it's okay to take money from the rest of the population, but keep in mind the rest of the population is 80% of the population to help support the 20% that are just – and I don't know how else to say this. They're just too dumb to be productive enough to support themselves, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) The the
0: rest – Oh, yeah. Some people are born with – developmental issues where they're never going to hold a job. They're just not right. You know,
1: I mean, they can't even get in the army, right. Or the Marine Corps. Well, they can't even feed themselves. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. So uh, to me, that percentage of the population that we legitimately know that they can't support themselves. I, I can see redistributing to them, but redistributing to people that are blanket poor people today, uh, simply because there's money out there to grab, doesn't seem like a, a moral situation to me that i want to support
0: yeah it seems immoral not to to me really yeah
1: and i i think that uh so on a global scale is it moral or immoral to apply the same thing
0: so like let's say yeah that's that's a that's an excellent point and i'm worried that we get americans <laughs> sorted before we start trying to help in rwanda not that we can't help in Rwanda we absolutely can yeah but can we can we guarantee you know housing and medical care to everyone that lives in Rwanda no we can't even do it in you know neighboring caribbean countries let alone rwanda
1: aside from whether or not we could Currently. do it i mean it certainly would be moral to be able to uh fix all ailments and all these things for free for people no matter what they were but and that might be out of our reach but i think both of us can decide right here right now that that would be a moral thing to do you know, like if we could just eliminate mental retardation or like uh, anything else that people suffer and go through, if we could just remove it with a, f- a snap of our fingers, I think both of us could agree that that would be a moral thing to do, right? Regardless of whether it's an achievable goal today, that's moral, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah if you have God-like power. So, so I'm very I, angry at God. So. Yeah. <laughs> So on a, <laughs> luckily he doesn't exist
1: on a philosophical level. You're saying that it's, Oh, that we should, it is moral to do that in the United States, but not moral to do it outside the United States.
0: No, well, I, I don't even know what, what I'm saying is it's, it's moral to do it. And we should do it in the United States just to get our shit together. Mm-hmm. So we have tons of money to make sure that, the 270 million Americans. I'm just going to keep saying that number every week <laughs> until I get it right. That, that, that Americans aren't, you know, hungry, unhoused, etc. cetera, mm-hmm. unless they choose to be like, you, there are, you know, anyway, that's a whole nother thing, right. but there's tons of money that we're just sitting on. You know, we have a housing crisis where, you know, I'm going to, this is in San Francisco. <laughs> There is enough to have empty housing to house all the homeless people, you know? And that's crazy. These are investment properties that that rich people are just sitting on that they have no intention of ever living in. It's just a way to stick your money somewhere because they have so much money they don't know what to do with it. So they have empty properties everywhere.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you, <laughs> and we have people living on the street while we have empty housing for billionaires. (laughs) I just don't understand. I don't understand how anyone thinks that that is an acceptable allocation of resources. And I'm not saying that billionaires can't billionaire because they absolutely can. If we take care of everybody's fucking basic needs, then you can have 17 Ferraris and I don't give a shit. That's fine. And it's not even going to make a goddamn dent to Jeff Bezos. The amount of money he has. Well, I don't know. Again, we'd have to run the spreadsheets, but, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just don't understand why anyone needs to make $5 billion and pay a lower marginal income tax rate on that money than what I pay on my money. That's crazy.
1: And I, I would actually agree with that. You know, yeah. Like if if, But that's not really their fault either. I, no. I don't think that people should just be like, oh, hey, look at what these politicians did to give their buddies a break. I'm not going to dip into that because... Or I'm going to just go ahead and give because I think that that's I, I mean the, certainly the government would not have your back, you know, in doing the right thing in some cases. So I I would just follow the law and pay as least the least amount of taxes that I could. Yeah, which I would expect out of any American. Which is what I do. Right. So like, what I I definitely in in other words, I don't blame the billionaires for that. I blame politicians, and I, I do agree that people should pay. Equally, at least a percentage of their time, you know, uh, there's no way that we could really work that out. But philosophically, I think that that would be the goal. You know, every single person works a certain percentage of their time for the government. In some cases, that's directly for the government in, in a way. Like, so, for example, let's say I work a 40 hour a week, but Jeff Bezos works an 80 hour a week. I think that both of us should only work four hours for the government. I'm just throwing out a random number.
0: Oh, I see what you're saying. So You're saying as a ratio of my total labor. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, Yeah, so
1: in other words, the extra that he does, he should be able to keep. You know, if we got paid hourly wages, his would be a huge amount of hourly wages, but he would only have to pay four hours, not eight hours, right? I
0: I think in a lot of ways— Well, it's not a progressive income tax. That's a flat tax.
1: Right, but he would still pay more though,
0: right? You'd pay more in dollar terms, correct? Yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I think progressive income tax is good.
1: But yeah. well, my overall point was whether or not we do progressive or equal uh time wise, somebody should they a billionaire should literally not pay zero in taxes because of loopholes in the tax law. Yeah. To me that's immoral. Yeah. And uh so I think we could agree on that one. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Without a doubt. Yeah. I, yeah. I just, <laughs> I mean, so many people take so much pride in our country that, you know, we're the greatest nation on earth and we're so rich and we're number one, you know, USA, USA, USA. And the way to be number one is to take care of your fucking people. And we can't even take care of our veterans. We can't even take care of people who have risked their lives fighting wars that. Not not all veteran. I mean, you know more about veteran issues than I do, but but my understanding is, and my uncle's not happy with the <laughs> the the uh, uh, what's it called the VA hospital system, right? Yeah. And the fact that there's a homeless veteran on our street, just one, drives me crazy. Yeah. Now, if they've chosen, they don't they they had housing available and they don't want it, right? They'd rather be, you know jumping on trains and seeing the country or whatever. That's fine. Like if it's an individual choice, but for them to not have the choice to be housed and you're a, you're a veteran who's put your life on the line when the U S government on behalf of the American people told you to risk your life, it blows my mind, you know? And, and, and by extension, all Americans for me fall under that rubric. But the fact that U S veterans, can be homeless just boggles my mind. Like how can it, I, I don't understand.
1: Yeah. So, and and this is one of the things that I've kind of brought up before too. So like there's, there's a certain level where I would agree with you that, Hey, we've, we've jacked this guy up so bad that we, we need to account for this in some way we need to provide for the rest of his life or whatever. And in fact, I've seen people like that. Um, I, I've certainly, know of people that you know didn't go home to their families and you know and they had six or seven children and a wife you know that they cared and they loved about loved and and you know in a way we kind of leave it up to them to figure out the rest of their life you know um i i feel like and i would have to look at it on an individual basis but veteran status to me doesn't get you anything in my personal opinion
0: as a speaking as a veteran yes speaking as a veteran (laughs) So I'm like a bleeding heart liberal that wants to support veterans, and here a U.S. veteran is so, <laughs> telling me to fuck off. <laughs> and this is interesting
1: too. It it definitely relates to other things as well. But it you know if I see like a veteran that that has the potential to make his own money and his own living, and he's choosing to feel sorry for himself and live in the gutter, um, even though he is perfectly capable of taking care of himself especially in a world where affirmative action, which is one of the things that I thought we uh, were going to talk about a couple of weeks ago, but when affirmative action appears to give them an advantage in looking for jobs, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it, I can't look at the government and say, in all cases, this is your fault. What I need to... And, and to oh, no, it's I'm like not saying about, that either. Yeah, and, and, and I know you're not. I, I guess what I'm trying to do is that... Uh, a single status doesn't say we need to support you no matter what. It, it almost needs to be looked at on an individual level. You know, m- my mom and I have actually talked about this before because she's actually, she's not a, she's not a liberal. She's a Republican with a very soft heart, right? Um, she looks at people like they need to get help no matter what. And... um one time me and her were talking about this and and she was like, Well, what if you had this uh battered woman that's been abused and shit on and she wants to get out of it? Are you saying that there that government shouldn't support um the houses and the things that they do to to get them out of that situation? And my answer to her was um that if we said we're not even if I said that the government shouldn't be involved with that, that does not mean that those services would go away. That in a, in in 99.99, almost probably even an excessive over the top 110% of the time, people that legitimately need help and they need help to get back on their feet, I believe would certainly get it
0: From from,
1: from private people. Um, you, you see that? Well, I
0: can tell you, of the forty-five people downtown, there's a lot of need there, and it's not being met privately.
1: But you're helping them.
0: Not enough. I'm giving oh. them. I'm giving them groceries on a Sunday. Yeah. What about housing? What about medical?
1: Oh yeah, and 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 I, you know, and I don't know those individual cases. Maybe some of them would fall into a category where I w- I do think they should receive government support. But there's got to be certainly some that even you would agree with. They're there. By their own fault. Yeah. Uh, so in a society uh, that I think needs to be successful, needs to have a disincentive for people like that to exist. To exist? Not exist. I'm not saying that they should <laughs> Jesus die. Christ. I'm not saying they should die. We're taking that the wrong them. way. What I'm trying to say <laughs> is, is that if you can achieve and you choose not to, but yeah. yet you have a minimum basic income, what incentive do you have to achieve? Right. Yeah, and that's all I'm trying to say is that uh, the option of zero needs to be there.
0: No, <laughs> well, I don't. But but I'm setting zero differently than you are. Yeah. I, I I think we're we're both agreeing. Like I said last week, you don't want to incentivize people not to work. You you don't. Right. And that's a line we we don't want to cross. In the case
1: of housing, while you're thinking about your next point, because it looks like you're deep in thought here. <laughs> So, like, um, <laughs> you were saying about looking for a thought. <laughs> yeah, so, one of the things that you mentioned was about San Francisco and the housing crisis, and it almost seems like one of the solutions that you have is to for people that are rich that have these empty houses to allow the homeless to come into those houses and just not
0: you know, specifically those houses. If we if we taxed people, if we taxed rich people enough, and again, I need to run a spreadsheet, but if we taxed the wealthy that have Three, four, five, seventeen empty houses. We could have homeless shelters that were funded enough to keep people, you know, housed. Mm -hmm. And you could have tiny home villages, you know, which exist in lots of places. Yeah. And all of these solutions, you know, hotels going bankrupt. Well, okay, turn the hotel into into housing, into emergency housing or transitive housing or. You know, Section eight housing, or you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, one thing I'm not that, saying they have to give up their property; they can keep their property. Let's yeah. tax them enough so that we have enough money to support people that you know, veteran that that want basic housing. Give them basic housing.
1: Yeah. So, um, one thing that I think, at least a life experience that I have is that uh, my one of my friends' moms, his parents got divorced, and she had. At least in my mind, she had no skills, right? Not a, not from anybody else's fault, but her own, at least in my personal opinion. So she never really wanted to get a job. Well, the city of of my hometown actually developed, like, these apartment buildings. I don't think that they were called Section 8, but they—and I'm, I'm pretty sure it was owned by the city, but they set the rent based upon the revenue of each individual, right? And I remember I helped her. We I helped her move into this place, and it was such an amazing place. But it wasn't very long—a couple of years, maybe four or five years—that that place was run down. Mm-hmm. Basically, every dime that 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 our city put into building this place was just turned to garbage.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've seen that too. So,
1: to me, that was wasted money it it provided shelter for people for five years and other than that it was just money thrown down to garbage if you were to take that oh. exact money and give it to bezos he probably would have taken the five million dollars or whatever it was and turned it into 25 million dollars
0: but those people <laughs> might be dead because they froze to death well people could be dead for any reason but well but not having housing in the middle of a nebraska winter <laughs> yeah that's a good way to die and that's and and so like and and even then, for I'll example, give, I'll, there's a way. <laughs> I'll,
1: I'll, I'll even give you an out that will convince me. You can convince oh, me.
0: Yes, give me the you, give me what I say, <laughs> and I'll just repeat it back to you. And then, bam! You can convince me I if win. you can
1: uh, explain to me why San Francisco has a almost unsolvable problem. At least from what I've seen, uh, same thing with Los Angeles that has a problem. Like, why is it a hundred times worse there than it is here? Homelessness. Yeah. And if you can explain to me how throwing money <laughs> at it can solve the issue, then the, you, probably, you probably win me over. And and, and this is – one of my biggest concerns is, is that I have a hard time accepting that moral position because I can't universally apply it. If I were to say let's universally apply it and therefore the cap on income that the, anybody in the United States can have – is fifty thousand dollars a year? The rest is taxed and sent to people that don't meet that.
0: I'm not a. I'm not a. I'm not advocating for a hundred percent marginal income tax rate. Oh, I know. I know you're
1: not. What I'm trying to say is that uh, somebody else's need trumps whatever anybody's rights are. So what I'm trying to say is is that there's other people in Africa that need the money that I spend on my dog's expensive food. Oh, right? yeah.
0: if, if we can't fix America. Yeah. We certainly can't fix Africa. Right.
1: I get that. What I'm trying to say is that the moral principle that's the foundation of your principle is that it's it's moral as a society, at least in the United States right now, to have that attitude where we take from people that have earned it and give it to somebody who hasn't because they need it, right? It, it's It's hard for me to buy into that principle because I can't universally apply it. I can't universally agree with that, Um, even though on an individual level, I can agree with that, if that makes any sense. Um, Where I fail to see is any situation where doing such a thing has actually helped. It seems like the places that support homeless people the most, San Francisco, Los Angeles, has the worst problem with it. And if we can explain how that is and how we can overcome that, uh, sort of conundrum, I'd be on board with it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I can't, I can't explain it. Yeah. You know, I've, I've spent probably hundreds of hours at this point in my life trying to wrap my head around this problem. And I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I and I don't know either. I, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that
1: you're wrong and I'm right either. What I'm trying to say is is that for me to mentally accept a position like that, that's that's a hurdle I need to overcome, especially since it's always these third-party positions. And what I mean by that is that I'd be voting to take Bezos' money away and give it to somebody else, thinking that that's the right thing to do with his money. And it, it's just hard for me to go down well, that, that direction.
0: But But we already do that, right? That's what taxes are.
1: Right, and, and one thing that I was saying too is that I, I think it's okay to do that as long as are returning value to that same person by saying we're going to build some roads. We're going to do things that are in the public domain, right, uh, that
0: – But helping uh, your fellow human beings isn't
1: valuable? Uh, I don't think it's – I'm not saying it's not valuable. And and to be clear, I I think that what you do every Sunday is really honorable, right? I think that there is uh, definitely different interests between you and me. Um, I would certainly – I kind of like to help dogs and and things like that. Uh, I actually uh, uh, tried to actually apply to get another foster dog. If they haven't gotten back to me, that, that place just drives me nuts sometimes. Maybe I should just find a different foster <laughs> to work with. But um,
0: You have to find another, a different yeah. sucker for your next <laughs> yeah, no. you next foster. <laughs> I'm not doing that again.
1: <laughs> well, in Huey's <laughs> defense, he has gotten a lot
0: better. Yes, he has. <laughs> yeah, but he had a really nice walk this morning. Yeah. So the part of the value, it, it seems to me, of taxing and giving it to extremely poor people Is that then you don't have homeless on the street because they have homes? (laughs) So (laughs) the homeless problem is fairly simple to solve in that if you house people, you don't have a homeless problem. So, (laughs) oh,
1: right. So, so there's a so
0: I I agree with you that that is and live in a society where you don't have to drive down whatever it's called in LA what's it called, Skid Row. So if if you live in Los Angeles and the solution (laughs) to Skid Row is to have taxation provide facilities where Skid Row is now empty, then great. And I'm not saying there isn't going to be a ton of problems because there are. Because, (laughs) for example, some of the people I've been trying to help with housing also are um, hoarders right mm-hmm. and that's very hard on a property it's really hard to keep <laughs> a yeah. carpet clean if you're hoarding and you never clean anything right. it's crazy mm-hmm. and it becomes a fire hazard right well what did anyone do wrong there well nothing because we're not going to provide cleaning services for homeless hoarding people <laughs> that's not going to happen like i i doubt anyone would want that job and how much money would we pay you know and they're emotionally and psychologically attached to everything they have to keep their you know how hoarding works apparently is you have to keep everything it's not oh i can go over there and help you clean it out it's that oh no i might need that someday and oh no i need that you know like you no know, that that's that can of coca-cola has you know memories and so you can't you can't fix it it's a mental health issue mm-hmm. hoarding And they're fucking up the properties, right? So they have Section 8 housing. So they're getting vouchers from taxpayers like you and I. And that's offsetting some of the rental cost. And then they are damaging the property by being there. Mm -hmm. And that sucks. Yeah.
1: So, uh, you know, I do agree, too, that, you know, it is enticing to say, "Well, if we just build the housing for these individuals, then they'll they'll have a house." No, I That's mean, right. that, yeah, we, and they'll get them off the street. It get, provides them
0: a place. Yeah, and we have decades of experience of building ghettos and then tearing down ghettos and then redesigning the ghettos and then building ghettos and yeah. tearing down ghettos. Not we in Omaha, but you know, we in Chicago. And there, you know, I've watched all these documentaries about you know housing towers in Chicago, and you know,
1: yeah. So it, and at the end of the day, um, I, I I guess I don't really see an example of when doing stuff. Well, the first point is that I don't see an example of when doing stuff like this actually has some meaningful results, i.e., the homeless goes away completely. Oh, like, I can tell
0: you one, but it's going to make me cry. You want to hear it?
1: <laughs> oh, you can tell me if you want. You know, like, and, and I'm not. I, I certainly don't <laughs> doubt that there are single one-off experiences, but I'm just saying that the transient class, poor people will never go away.
0: Right? Probably not completely. Yeah. yeah. You can't 100% solve the problem, but right. we could solve the problem for millions of people it seems to me. Yeah. It seems to me a lot of that is money. And yeah. It seems to me there is a shitload of money.
1: Right. And so, so considering that we both agree that at least they w- it won't completely go away. Yeah. And and the the extent to which uh changes we could make I would say are pretty minimal actually and may you may have one or two people here or there. And even then, you don't even know if they would have gotten along great without the subsidy or not. But I guess what my point is, is that one thing to consider, though, is that money always has alternative uses. And if uh, I think that uh, the city of Houston is like a perfect example of this. They used to constantly be building and spending money on the roads and the highway system there and constantly upgrading it. And it was it was somewhat behind, but it was still able to compensate for the growing population that they had. Well, they decided to not do that anymore and divert money to other aspects. And now it's just like this crazy shit show there where you just can't go anywhere. Hardly without running in these huge traffic jams, which causes extra pollution. It causes uh, wasted time in people's lives. It, it caused like a... a people to move out of the uh, the area and go to alternative places, right?
0: You're saying they over-constructed the road system or you're saying they didn't maintain the road system? They were in the process of
1: over-staying ahead in the construction of roads to the point to where what was finished being constructed maintained the population and the increase in population that was subtly happening over time. But people thought to themselves, well, we don't, because whatever money they spend today on the roads isn't for today, right? It's for five years from now. So people were thinking to themselves, well, we don't want to keep doing this. We want to divert that money to other things, uh, helping the homeless, or doing whatever. Um, so because they stopped doing that stuff in advance, they they weren't staying ahead of it with the road development anymore, causing like multiple times and increase uh, traffic volumes and delays and all these other things. My point isn't that we should spend a shitload of money on the roads. My point is, is that money that is spent on homeless people and their housing and all these other things, no matter how we look at it, it has alternative uses. And the question is, where do we get the most value from that money? Um, And I, I know it's even talking about it now, it's, it, it is emotionally disturbing to me to say we should put the money into the infrastructure of this of whatever area that we're in to get a return on investment as opposed to providing somebody with a place to stay. But what is better long-term for a society is what is up for debate. And I think handling of people on an individual basis should primarily be handled by themselves and then handled on a private level. Um, I think is the best way to go about it. Uh, And that's just the way I look at it. Hmm. And if we can show that it's better for society to provide these these people with a, a place to stay, I'd be on board with it. Um, I, I guess I just never really see that. And it, and I hate to reduce it to this. A lot of times it's my perception, which could be wrong. And that, and that's why I like to talk about these things. You know, I, I given that we do have limited funds, sometimes I wonder, you know, like, what are we actually providing a home to somebody for? Is it so that they could spend, they themselves can spend money on alternative things? And that's the thing, you know, that gets a lot of people, like they think, well, if we just give them money or give them housing, that just leaves them more money to spend on drugs or iPhones, whatever. I guess my point is is that I'm not the one that's difficult, and I think I've said this before, it's life that's difficult, and I don't think that they should be excused from the difficult choices that everybody has to make at at some point in their life. I decided to forego wages to go to college, right, and I, I decided to go into the Army first to uh, as a part of like a response to nine eleven, 11 but also to uh, make a choice where I'm going to save money later on in my life, right? It it doesn't make sense to me to alleviate people of the responsibility to make those choices. You could actually find a decent job, maybe $10 an hour or $15 an hour and actually work at that job. But that's the trade-off that I made, you know, I said I'm going to forego earnings right now so I can make more in the future because that's the wise thing to do. <laughs> yeah. And I think that when people don't make choices like that, they need to to live with the reality of those choices. Um, well, they are, <laughs> yeah. And I, I certainly would like to hear your story. Do we they have time for your story?
0: They are certainly living. With the consequences. It looks like we're so at an choices. hour and six minutes, but some of that is fluff. No, we the kind of time triggered. starts when I sit down here, Chris. <laughs>
1: oh, I got you. So we've, we we went s- way over then.
0: Uh, no, I, yeah, no, we're an hour and a half. According to my bud clock, I've been sitting here for an hour and a half. Oh, yeah. It was so
1: partly that was – I blame <laughs> that. Um.
0: Yeah, no. The story that is going to make me cry probably is that – I was feeling really depressed about the whole situation downtown. I was having a really bad day. And a guy, a guy came up to me from across the street wearing the uniform of the restaurant across the street, and he handed me a $20 bill and he said, "Hey, you guys used to help me out. And now I've got a job, and I just wanted to give you this $20 bill." And that made me cry. And again right now because I was just, I was feeling really low. Like, are we helping these people? And, um, (laughs) and there's a guy that, and that's never happened before. People have given us money before, but no one has walked up and said, Hey, I used to get food from you guys and that was really helpful. And now I have a job and I want to give you money to pay it forward or whatever you said. And, uh, Yeah. So the, you know, if you want to, and I don't think you do, but yeah, if you want to argue that there's, (laughs) there's something more going on than just, you know, this physical determinism universe, whether that's God or the, you know, the, uh, some universal spirit of goodwill or the universe bending towards justice and love or whatever my parents would say. That's a that's a hell of a uh, anecdote because that you know so I've been doing this for seven years fifty two so three hundred and fifty weeks that had never happened and the one week that I'm feeling really low about it and that happens that's a hell of a coincidence yeah (laughs) you know and so I I try to figure out well what you know what does that mean emotionally um and you know trying to stuff. God did that into that hole doesn't make any sense for me. Um it just raises more questions than it answers. But it's a, a hell of a coincidence. So like we helped that guy and that guy apparently is employed enough that he can hand me a 20, which is not nothing because I assume he's not making a lot of money per hour, yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So he's handing, you know, an hour or two of labor time to me he has that much, you know, free money now, which is great. Yeah, congratulations to him. That's yeah. fantastic.
1: Oh, well, that's really good. You know, you know, and I I think that this actually is one thing that I one reason why I think that and, and I haven't mentioned this yet of why I think that uh charity and stuff like that should be handled on a private level. So I, I don't work a lot personally with um people that are needy or whatever, but I know a lot of people that do. I know I know my mom has um uh you do. <laughs> uh Kelly does. A lot in her profession, she worked with a lot of individuals that do this. And one thing that I've noticed is that um, when the government does things like, i.e. takes money from one person and gives it to another, it removes the heart, right? It removes the person-to-person contact that a society feels when they are actually the ones doing it, right? Right. So in your particular case, I would say that God had nothing to do with it and you had everything to do with it. Like that person is successful, not because of God, not because of the government, it, it, because of you and your kind heart, right? I, and I, I think that because you did that, you know that and he knows that. Whereas if it, if there's an invisible hand moving the money, for some strange reason, I'm they say that this isn't coming from a person that had to work for it. It's coming from the government who just bestowed it on me. You know, like it's the the overreaching hand of goodness of the government, right? Mm. And and that's one reason why I I technically do advocate for that stuff being handled on a personal level, because not only do people need to know um where it came from, like i.e. that guy that appreciated you knew it came from you, but um I I, I think to some extent as part of being a human being, you need to be able to be the one in your situation where you do that for other people. I, I, I mean, I, I try to do it my, in my own life. I try to do it in other ways, but I do think that that's a need that people have. Um, and I, I think what you meant by the God part is the timing of it, right?
0: Yeah. Um, but Just the, the the mathematical yeah <laughs> chances <laughs> yeah that that's the week that he because I'm not usually it's it's not very often that i'm reflecting on 7 years of doing this every weekend. Yeah. And feeling like, oh shit, how is it the same faces down here? Not not all of them, but you know. Yeah, um, several. But and sh- then it had never happened to my recollections <laughs> that someone who had formally, you know, received food from us um donated. Yeah. We we've had a lot of not a lot. But, it, you know, it happens several times every year. Somebody, somebody will, you know, give us money. I mean, you know, I just burn it on gas for the truck that hauls the shit around, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but – uh, or whatever the secretary does with our money. Yeah. But the, the timing issues
1: certainly do make me – sometimes that is one of the things. Because, I, I mean, I'm an atheist, so, you know, when I see stuff like that or try to remember stuff, some some – Sometimes it's hard for me to um, reconcile that with my kind of atheist. Did I ever tell you? Did I ever tell you the story of the mouse
0: mm-hmm.
1: that I had? Yeah, uh, you know, not like, on the
0: podcast though. So.
1: Oh well, I'll try to make it as short as possible. <laughs> so the story of the mouse is, I, I wanted to test the idea that animals' lives had value to God, right? And this was when I was before I was an atheist. So I said a prayer to myself one. Uh, so uh, I was studying uh, one night. And uh, a mouse ran across the floor and it freaked me out. I think before I had talked to this professor, I probably just would have tried to stomp on it and kill it, which is kind of kind of aggressive and mean. But you know, I, instead, uh, because of what this professor said, I, I said a silent prayer to myself. I said, "God, if if you really value the life of of animals, um, make it to- so that I can catch this mouse and release it uh, safely outside." As soon as I said that, this little mouse walked out and sit in the middle of the floor staring at me long enough that I could walk past him, get a piece of Tupperware, pick him up off the floor and set him outside. And it it's hard for me to explain that uh, to myself sometimes. Um, it's one of the honest uh, experiences in my life where I felt like at the time Prayer actually worked, you know. It, it it's like a concrete moment where it said, "Hey, this is true." You know, animals' lives are valued, um, and and they have value, and I shouldn't just stomp on it. You know, <laughs> um, not only that, but it also kind of reaffirmed at the time that that God answers prayers, and um, since then I've 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 had a hard time reconciling that with my current belief that. uh, or lack of belief, if you want to call
0: it, by being an atheist. Yeah, I had had an experience like six months ago where I can't remember what the experience was now, which is so lame. (laughs) But something happened, and I'm like, that is freaking, like, mythical. Like, (laughs) if there were gods in the universe, this is the kind of shit I would expect to happen, like, pretty frequently. If it was some kind of mist or something like i don't know the clouds were rolling in a really weird way but it was just like crazy like it was some natural phenomenon that was like that just struck me as wow this is exactly the kind of thing that i would do you know if i was a deity of some kind <laughs> like <laughs> that looks just badass like and and the fact that that rarely happens so infrequently in my life you know it was like like kind of like a biblical thing Sort of, you know, mm-hmm. and I would just expect a lot more of that, you know, if, if gods were real and, you know, <laughs> whatever, whatever, imps and witches and goblins right. and, you know, it's just like a magical, like TV moment, like in real life. And I was like, holy crap, you know? Yeah. um, Good Yeah. Things. I wish I knew exactly <laughs> what yeah. that was. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we did not at all circle back to affirmative action. Yeah. But- <laughs> And we still have 20 minutes if we want to try to change. Oh no, I, I don't give us something to talk about next week. I, 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 yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do with this wealth disparity thing because I, I'm not finding between you and I, you know, a big disagreement point in any like large principled sort of way, I don't think, or I'm not listening correctly or I'm not understanding or something. I'm not sure what's what's going on. And, and it's possible throwing money at people doesn't solve the problem, right? Which which completely um invalidates, you know, my argument. You know, tax and spend. That's my argument, it's tax and spend. And um and, and that's that could be legitimate. Like, you know, if you've been trying for decades, the city of Los Angeles has been trying for decades and actually doing, you know, maybe they have. I I'm under the impression they haven't. <laughs> but maybe they have. And, you know, throwing money at things can't solve every problem. You know, there's lots of problems in this world that money doesn't solve. And so taking Jeff Bezos's money or my money or your money uh, doesn't fix an issue because it's not a money problem. That's not what's going on. Um, But, yeah, I just uh, I I guess I inundate myself with with so much um, information around um, these issues that it's just hard for me. To then, you know, watch the Super Bowl and be like, you know, rah-rah, go Team America. Aren't we doing great?
1: Yeah. Well, as a side note to the uh, – when uh, w- the raises came out, you know, like within the last month or so for where I work, I don't even know if it's wise for me to even mention that based upon some of my political positions. <laughs> But uh, basically everybody got a 4% raise, but inflation last year was about 6%. So if you think about it, I got a bit, about a, a 2% pay cut, <laughs>
0: yeah. right? Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, one thing that really infuriated a lot of people was that the upper leadership of the company um, got like an all-expense-paid trip to the Super Bowl, and they rode there on a train, and they got this like suite. and And people are thinking to themselves – that must be really nice, you know. Like here we are, basically everybody else taking a pay cut, and and they probably got these huge million dollar bonuses and are going, you know, to the Super Bowl, all expense paid trip, and uh, a lot of times. And I think it's really frustrating to see that, and and I'll be honest, sometimes it is frustrating to see that Jeff Bezos is in the world, but, um,
0: I'm not faulting Jeff Bezos. Yeah, I know. Yeah.
1: Uh, um. I'm not even faulting the people for taking the offer to go to the super bowl either. I am just saying that it's, it's frustrating from my standpoint to see it.
0: Right. I I don't understand like my brother and I, and my brother's roommate, we all had this conversation where I was trying to, I was trying to get them to agree with me that if your boss is making a thousand times more money than you, maybe he's not worth a thousand times more money than you. And maybe that's not equitable and maybe you should start your own spin-off business where you're the, you're the owner mm. and then maybe you should pay your employees a, a fair wage for the work that they're doing maybe it should be that the workers are the ones that benefit from the profitability of a thing not the ownership class you know so now we're getting Marxist is fucking here <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well. Seize the means of production. Yeah. <laughs> International Workers of the World Unite. We can certainly talk Which about Karl Marx if you want. <laughs> see, but well, you probably know <laughs> way more about Karl Marx than I do. And you've been in unions before, so you know a lot more about unions Oh, I, I personally <laughs> haven't. I've never but been you, in it. I just know
1: a lot of people that I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. And I don't. Like, uh, I don't yeah. even know.
0: Because we've talked about We haven't done a union episode. Oh, yeah. Not that I, we could. We've just talked in unions about Unions a lot in Discord.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. And certainly if we do that, <laughs> we need to get some people that actually have experience. Well, yeah, it. I
0: don't know anything about it. I know? don't
1: either, honestly, from the inside looking out.
0: Like my friend – Have we? Not, I know we've talked about this. I, I don't think it's on the podcast though. You know, my, my friend – the the closest experience I have with unions is two things. One, my friend was a manager at a place where it's a working manager job. Like he had to do the work and he had other people that were supposed to help get the department work done. And he had an employee that was terrible, wasn't getting anything done, but he couldn't reprimand that employee at all. Mm -hmm. As long as they showed up on time, if they clocked in, (laughs) they didn't work all day and then clocked out. He couldn't reprimand them because the union wouldn't allow it.
1: Yeah. And there's some other side effects of that as well. So like um, because that's the way it becomes after their probationary period, like it literally does become that way. It's really hard to fire them. What ends up happening is that they're overly scrutinized, in my opinion, in the first three months during their probationary period, because during that period, you could fire them for whatever you want. So, like, if you just don't like them, you can fire them, right? Yeah. And I I think that in some ways that kind of does a disservice to them.
0: Well, Nebraska is a right-to-work state, which means you can fire people for any reason or no reason as long as they're not in an unprotected class.
1: Oh, I thought being a right-to-work state only meant that you weren't forced to join the union.
0: Nope. (laughs) When when I was working for a hotel company, and this was 10 years ago, so maybe the laws have changed. But when I was working for a hotel company, what the lawyers explained to me was right-to-work in Nebraska meant that everyone can be fired for any reason or for no reason at any time unless they're part of a protected class.
1: Well, that's interesting. That would definitely be a misnomer. That might have to be a subject of the next podcast, then.
0: Well, yeah, it's <laughs> a, you know, it's the the name of the thing not matching at all the actual reality of what the thing accomplishes in law. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Oh well, well. Right yeah, to well. work <laughs> means the employer can fire the fuck out of you. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: yeah, that might be worth uh, uh, looking more into and,
0: and get some more info on for sure. All right. Well, I think we're wrapping up then. And I don't know yet again, I don't know what we've um what we've accomplished today, so thank you listeners <laughs> for listening yeah. to whatever this was. We did it again <laughs> episode thirty two is in the can as they say, if the recording worked so cool, well, thanks, did it work oh yeah it did it did work all right <laughs> great all right thanks Chris. thanks bye you.